0: This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL.
1: Let's zero in on downtown London right now. I want you to picture the corner of Dundas and Adelaide in your mind. Chances are you have walked by, you have driven by at some point in... Your life, I mean, being in a pandemic, we're maybe not out and about as much as we usually would be. But picture that corner of Adelaide and Dundas. On the southwest corner, you have where the police station is, London Police Service Headquarters. And if we go kind of kitty corner, we have the Mystic Bookshop. And joining us right now from Mystic Bookshop is one of the co-owners, Lyndon Horsfall, to talk about how things are going in that area and some of the concerns that do exist in our city. Lyndon, thanks so much for being here. Hi, how are you? Great. You have an incredibly busy spot. There are people around all the time. Right now, describe what is happening in front of Mystic Bookshop
0: uh well we've had just like every other retail space we've had quite a difficult year with covid 19 and and stuff like that and um and now are the streets closed right in front of the store for construction and uh on top of that uh the problem that's been building for many many years now is um the uh the uh a criminal element that seems to be settling into that that strip there and um there's been a lot of break-ins, a lot of vandalism, um, a lot of windows smashed, just seemingly for the sake of windows being smashed. And uh, the other day, I guess it was our turn, and we got broken into and uh, burglarized. So,
1: What is it like to hear yourself say the other day it was our turn, and that that's how it feels? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, <sighs> yeah, it's, it's just, it's a problem that's been escalating for so long and we just don't feel like anybody is helping us at all. And, um, and we, we kept talking to ourselves about that. Like, when is it our turn? When is it, like the, the wisdom tea shop right next to us, they've been broken into three times. Um, the brewery down the street has been broken into a bunch of times. Uh, the hair salon next to us has been broken. Everybody's, Everybody along that strip has had some sort of vandalism or break-in happening, and um, there doesn't seem to be a lot that's uh, being done about it. So,
1: We are talking with Lyndon Horsfall, co-owner of Mystic Bookshop, which is located at Adelaide and Dundas in the city. And when you talk about the, the break-ins or the vandalism, are you having things stolen? Are people trying to get in to take stuff, or sometimes is it just they're smashing a window?
0: Well um unfortunately for us we were burglarized we we had we had all our computers stolen all our point of sale machines we had uh cash taken it the our cash register was smashed and all the money was taken um luckily we don't you know keep too much in in it overnight but um uh but but that night there was a little bit more than usual, unfortunately, and they got all that um but mainly it's all the equipment and everything that's being taken and then um and then of course, just the damage to the windows and the doors and the locks and and all that sort of stuff and um and uh yeah and, and as a matter of fact, when we got to the store, there was somebody else in the store, not not the person who had broken in, but someone who saw an opportunity to run in and they were just picking up the change that was left on the floor when we got there so we had to sort of hold that person there until the cops arrived
1: wow and yeah you talk about this building and yeah. we're going to talk in just a moment about something that you decided to do that i think you know we'll all find kind of daring and, and at the same time <laughs> uh, unnerving but you right. talk about this building what do you think is leading to the building do you do you talk with other store owners about it
0: oh yeah we talk we talk to other store owners all the time and and i'm constantly sending emails and calling city councilors i'm you know trying to get in touch with whoever i can at the police station uh we're constantly uh talking to everybody we can um i try to get in touch with the mayor all the time i've never heard back um, but, uh, yeah, we, we, we talk to each other all the time and we try and talk to other people and, uh, you know, all we ever hear is that, well, there's plans. We were, you know, we're looking at it and we're trying to figure out what to do. And the cops are frustrated as well, but these are complaints that the neighborhood has had for the last three years, um, about the, the, the vandalism and break-ins in the area and, uh, and still, you know, nothing's yet to be done. So. So somebody's gotta do something.
1: Lyndon <laughs> Horsfall joining us, co owner of Mystic Bookshop. Let's talk about what you did do because you decided that if this was being broken into and or if, if things were being broken into, stores, shops, then mm-hmm. you wanted to be nearby. How nearby yeah. were you through the night one night recently?
0: Uh well, multiple nights. I I still am. I'm I'm sleeping at the store now. Um, because you know we just we just can't afford to have this stuff happen and everything and and I like I truly believe that uh, through my own experience, other people may have other experiences, but I don't believe that uh, the criminal element in the area is is all that interested in actually physically hurting people. It's more of crimes of convenience, and you know like the only people on the street in the area in the middle of the night are. You know, a lot of other people who don't have the uh, faculties to do anything or or don't care or maybe they're breaking into places as well. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, I, you know, we truly believe that just having a presence on the street and, you know, um, uh, like a presence in our store and hopefully in the future, a presen- presence on the street throughout the night, that'll be enough to um, to prevent a lot of the vandalism and break ins um so so yeah i've been sleeping in the store and i will be there until uh until we get a new security system and unfortunately until we put bars on the windows we've we've resisted that for a really long time we want to feel like a very uh open and welcoming store to all walks of life and uh but uh yeah we're, we're gonna have to put bars on the windows now so that's really unfortunate but so i'll Dude, do that how until that happens
1: <laughs> wow how well are you sleeping Not well.
0: (laughs) Um, What I've been saying to people is that I'm sleeping a little bit better than I thought I would, but not that great. (laughs) Um, You know, every sort of uh, noise or screaming or whatever I hear, it definitely wakes me up and I'm on point and checking out the back door, checking out the front door, you know, and I just want people to know that, hey, I'm there. This is not a place you're going to want to break into again. Sorry, I don't. I said that. That sounds like a physical fan like i don't mean that as a threat or anything but hopefully just right. my presence there will um you know will keep
1: people away yeah have you thought about what might happen if somebody decided to try and get into the store while you were there
0: um yeah i you know if somebody tried to get into the store while i was there i would just call nine one one and walk out the back door or or whatever i i'm not interested in physical altercations or anything and you know we want to try and get a uh, uh groups of people walking, walking down that strip at night. And, um, and, uh, you know, like, Physical, physical encounters are, are not, not what, what I want. I just want people to know that we're there and we're watching. And, and if someone did try to break in while I was there, I would run away.
1: <laughs> sure. Now, hey, I think I'm right with you. I'm not going to stand yeah. up to somebody who's breaking into anything. Um, yeah. But in terms of, of that, that presence that you talk about, is that a mm-hmm. call for more of a police presence, or could that just be a presence of people, Period.
0: Well, we've been calling for more of a police presence along the strip at night for a really long time now, and nothing nothing has happened, unfortunately. Um, I read an interview with the deputy chief of police today where she said that, you know, they're researching what to do and trying to put plans in effect. And it's like, where were you when we were trying to talk to you years and years ago? Like, nothing has happened yet. So am I'm, I'm just a little tired of waiting for something to happen this is our livelihood and our money and our pocketbooks that are being hurt and destroyed and we want to have a friendly place where people feel welcome but a lot of people don't feel welcome in that area of town um so i definitely i'm definitely calling for more of a police presence at night and all night they keep talking about being there for certain hours or anything and it's like the people who do this learn what hours you're there so we need somebody there all night and if they're not going to be there um i'm trying to talk to local lo- other local businesses and people who live in the area and we're trying to get as many people as possible to do shifts walking up and down at night and you know not engaging anybody but calling the cops if anything happens or or uh, and just trying to protect our stores and our homes
1: linden as a final question have yeah. you considered moving the shop out of that area has that conversation come up
0: uh, the conversation comes up and, and a lot of people say that. And, um, you know, like that shop has been there for over 30 years um, and people love that store and, and, and know where it is. And um, it's also sort of like um, I, what I'm about to say, I don't mean to, to say this is what you're implying. But like, you know, whenever people mention that, it feels like blaming the victim and um you know, where would it, you know? We believe in the neighborhood, and we know there's wonderful people there. And the neighborhood is just under siege from a certain element, and uh, we wanna we wanna protect our neighborhood. We shouldn't have to move. Um, we shouldn't have to go anywhere else. We just we're looking for a little help, and if we're not getting it, we're gonna take care of it ourselves.
1: Well, you know what? that's down. that's the greatest answer I think we could hear because it is a great area and it has great yeah. people. and the other parts that have been affecting you just feel unfair. And if everybody just yeah. decided, well, we'll just up and move, then what? then then we yeah. have and yeah, we have an area of our city that's completely vacant. that's that's not the yeah. right answer. So thank you for having that particular answer. You do have a a GoFundMe that is set up, correct?
0: uh we do i don't really we we feel we're doing it out of need but we don't feel um comfortable with with putting our hand out so i um don't get me wrong but i don't really want to promote it too much um if people no problem. find it they can um but i also like it like it you know but before we go i just want to thank the community like in the last couple of days we've had such an outpouring of love and and support and i'm sorry i'm getting a little emotional here but we we've you know, like the just the people reaching out and messaging us and getting in touch and offering help and, and all that stuff. It's been so overwhelming to know that our store is so loved and it's such an important piece of that neighborhood. And uh, I just want to send love and thanks to, to everybody reaching out to us.
1: Lyndon, thank you for being who you are and having the attitude that you do. Uh, we need to oh, bottle that you. and sell it just outside the store if we can ever do that. <laughs> um, that would be <laughs> thank great. You so much. Thank you for spending some time with us, and I hope that uh, the big problems are behind you and eventually you're able to return home and get a full night's sleep. Uh,
0: my, my wife will appreciate that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Take care of yourself. Thank, thank you so much. Bye-bye. That is Lyndon Horsfall, Bye. co-owner of Mystic Bookshop. That's, that's tough, and what a great attitude Lyndon has through this because it is such a good area. It is. And we've had, let's, let's get into this in just a second. We'll talk more about this in five minutes. But if you have any thoughts on anything you've just heard from Lyndon, let me know. Mike at 980cfpl.ca. There's another area that needs to be looked at when it comes to reevaluating how things are going because our demographics are changing. Not even are changing. They have changed. And because of that, now that we're at tax time, we've got some things to consider. Joining us right now is Catherine Capalacci, who is with Single Seniors for Tax Fairness. Catherine, thanks so much for taking some time for us.
2: Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate
1: it. You are able to look at a lot of data and we could look at that data right now but I know you've seen it. If we're talking about mm-hmm. single person households where the individual living in that household is over the age of 65, where does that fall in terms of the number of those types of households that exist in Canada?
2: Yes. Well, uh Statistics Canada put out a really great report that I highly recommend everyone should be reading. A couple years ago it's called Living Alone in Canada. And uh, it really just hit the nail on the head for me, um, specifically for the entire demographic. I'm, I'm, I can't speak fully to the number of single seniors right now. Also, our demographics are all from 2016, so we're we're just a little behind. We're waiting for the, the newest one this year. But right now, we have the single-income households are the largest number of uh, households in Canadian history. Uh, it's It's more than doubled in the last 35 years. And uh, it's kind of only going from there, which is exactly uh, the premise that Single Seniors for Tax Fairness bases their whole uh, agenda on. Uh, it's, It's become a very big passion of mine.
1: So if that is growing and has grown to be, when we're talking about single-income households where the individual or individuals are over the age of 65 being the largest type of household for the first time in Canadian history, that's a big mark. Is everything that needs to support that supporting it right now?
2: Not at all. So our biggest problem is that, uh, speaking of things that need to be reviewed and changed, our tax system is based on two major uh, elements that that have been very advantageous for a majority of the population. And, you know, they, they will be in the future as well. And that is marriage and home ownership. These things, if you have them or if you fall into that category, our tax system offers benefits and breaks. Uh, and if you don't, It's kind of the opposite. You are, you're borderline penalized for not having fallen under those categories. And this happens tenfold when you are a senior citizen in Canada. So we at Single Seniors for Tax Fairness are trying to raise awareness about the fact that when you're a senior, you know, you have so many different uh, needs uh, already to be not having uh, these opportunities. To save your wealth, to pass on to uh, your future generations, or do what you want with your life savings, to have these disadvantages because you're not married, or because you don't have a common law partner, or because you were never able to get into the housing market—it's a—it's uh, a real issue. And and like we're seeing, you know, it's it's only going to become more important in the coming years.
1: We are talking right now with Catherine Capilacci with Single Seniors for Tax Fairness. So. The system, obviously, is in (laughs) need of a review. We've heard that from other areas as well, and Mm -hmm. it takes somebody actually kind of having that review for anything to change. But what would you like to see, Catherine, changed if someone grabbed that great big magic wand in the near future?
2: Uh, You know, I think the biggest thing that needs to be taken into consideration when we uh, start making amends is, first of all, the fact that you know, a single person requires about two thirds of the income that a couple requires, and because that's not being taken into consideration, there are a lot of things that slip through the cracks. So, what we're hoping to see in the future is, you know, there has to be a balancing act. There has to be an, an evening of the playing field, so that it doesn't matter if you are single or married or a homeowner or not. And uh, the suggestions that we have. Um, Honestly, Mike, it would be great to see for, for renters, for senior renters, if a portion of their rent uh, is tax deductible or if upon their death of a if upon the death of a renter, if the first 50 percent of their estate would be tax freed up to a million dollars or something. These are the types of things that would help single seniors uh, be able to pass on their life savings, their legacy onto uh, the younger generation and the people they love in their in their families.
1: Well, I mean that's that that just makes sense, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We have a we have a couple other suggestions too. I mean, uh, there's always going to be people that benefit from having uh the principal principal residency tax exemption and and there are great advantages for seniors who take uh who use uh pension income splitting. These are things that uh that I think um yeah, are very very important. To a lot of people in our society, but there needs to be other opportunities that are similar for singles, so that you are not being uh, looked at from the tax system as uh, not as worthy as as these other people who made different life decisions than you. Um, and yeah, so we, we we're we're hoping to you know raise awareness amongst uh, policymakers who could see this and go, yeah. I think that if we offer this tax benefit or if we change, if we amend something that's already there to be more inclusive of people who don't own homes or never did, or people who didn't get married, there are, you know, there are a lot of things there that could be rejigged to just make it so much more even.
1: We are talking with Catherine Cabalacci with single seniors for tax fairness. Catherine, since you started talking about this and since your passion began to grow have you heard from anyone who says you know i i think policy does need to be changed
2: yeah we definitely have there's been a really lovely uh amount of support in our community. I uh, I don't know if you can tell, Mike, but I'm not a senior. Uh, I'm in my mid-20s, but I am very passionate about this because I do think it's going to be even more important. Uh, my boss and mentor, who is the, the woman behind this organization, is in her 80s and very much falls into this category. It's become uh, very, very real in my eyes, and I, I think that if people take a minute to check out, if they Google us at SSTF, Single Seniors for Tax Fairness, uh, they can have a look at our website and really just see that once you understand the the way this is personally affecting the senior citizens that you love in your life, it's just it's such a it's such an important topic that uh, that yeah we're really we're being met with a lot of positivity in the community.
1: So in terms of finding out more SSTF, where where do we go online? Is that a .com, a .org, a .ca?
2: Yeah, so our our website is Single Seniors Tax at dot .wixsite.com, but the easiest way to do it is if you Google SSTF, single seniors for tax fairness, you'll find us. You can also Google or email me at singleseniorstax at gmail.com, and I will answer you lickety-split, because we are just absolutely loving all of the uh, support we're getting in our community.
1: That's great stuff. Well, I mean, you mentioned things like income splitting. If you don't have the ability to make use of that, that can be a really useful thing at tax time. And when that doesn't exist, think about how much more costly things become.
2: Absolutely. And, and pension income splitting is a benefit on its own, but it also opens the doors to seniors receiving other benefits because they fall into a lower tax bracket. And that's all fine and well, but there are a lot of single seniors who aren't able to lower their tax bracket and they actually might require those benefits that they aren't qualifying for because, uh, you know, they, they are seen as already earning too much. But there's pension income splitters who are getting them because because they take advantage of this you know, this really great option that the government gives them. So it's about time that singles get a great option as well.
1: Well, we really appreciate you talking about this and advocating for this. Catherine, thanks, thanks so much Mike. for the time, and keep safe. No
2: problem. Thank you. You too. Take care.
1: Bye-bye. That is Catherine Capalacci with Single Seniors for Tax Fairness. So if you Google search Single Seniors for Tax Fairness, easiest way to find them and... It makes sense, but it takes somebody saying, hey, this over here, this isn't happening yet. And you realize that we have a huge portion of our population who could make use of some changes if we could have them made? So single seniors for tax fairness. When it comes to addressing gun violence, the days of who's right and who's wrong should be gone. There is no right and wrong in this. The first thing that you will hear is, well, if we banned all guns, no one would get shot. Okay, well, I mean, that's you can you can argue that side. The other side will say that's not true. There are many ways to go out and commit violence or many ways to harm somebody else. And if someone wants to do that, they're going to go and they're going to find another way. And then you will hear, well, if we just got rid of assault rifles... You will then have the other side say, do you know how many of these particular cases of mass shootings or how much gun violence is committed without assault rifles? One of the things that was published in The Atlantic not too long ago that I I thought was really well done was an idea that came from individuals who supported owning firearms and one of the things that they pointed to was if you want to ban an AR-15 or an AK-47, these assault rifles, then you are essentially trying to address impaired driving by banning vodka. That, that's, that's not what's going to do it. So again, the days of being able to say who's right and who's wrong, it's not fixing anything. And it is not helping in any way. So instead, why don't we start to look at approaches? Why don't we start to look at groups that are able to say, all right, here's what we're dealing with. But here are our ideas. And joining us right now is Brian Malty from the Hope and Heal Fund, which you can find at hopeandhealfund.org. Brian, thanks so much for taking some time for us
3: thanks for having me really appreciate it
1: brian let's first talk about hope and heal fund give us uh, the background that we need to know about what you aim to do
3: sure we are a uh, fund a collaborative fund here in the state of california that takes a public health based community based and racially equitable approach to gun violence prevention and so what that means is Uh, While while there certainly is a focus on the lethality of the firearm, we're also taking approaches that deal with the underlying conditions um, that uh, uh, cause people uh, to uh, pull the trigger, whether it's to harm themselves or whether to harm somebody else. So um, I have a lot of experience certainly working on Capitol Hill in my past on gun legislation, uh, but now I've taken a kind of a different path into really looking at Uh, more of a public health-based community-based approach to gun violence prevention here in California.
1: When things like yesterday in Boulder happened or last week in Atlanta or you name it, going back to January 6th or going back before this year, when they happen, you want to be able to say, okay, that's it. That's the last one. This will never happen again. Let's do something to make that quick fix. How much of this is not about a quick fix?
3: Uh, I think a lot of it is not about a quick fix. Uh, This is a very complex issue. And while uh, addressing gun violence through policy at the federal level, uh, in Congress and at the state level is important. It's also a very complex issue to address, again, the underlying conditions um, that cause people to be more violent. Now, that said, obviously, in the United States, there is... um, in, including a lot of states, unfettered access to firearms. And so the lethality can't be ignored uh, that comes with the firearm. But the underlying conditions, whether it's COVID or economic insecurity or mental health issues, these are things that need to be addressed. So there is no quick fix to this uh, whatsoever. Uh, and you have to attack, attack it on all fronts.
1: So where does that attack begin then? Because it's that's a big front. Where do you start?
3: Well, you, you know, obviously uh, what happened in the mass shooting yesterday in Colorado and in Georgia and in the past are incredibly horrific and tragic events. Yet in the United States, they only account for about 1% of all gun deaths. So if you take that um, that piece, that mass shooting piece, yes, it needs to be addressed. Yes, the whole, these shootings are horrible and tragic. But what need, really needs to be addressed are the other 99% of gun deaths, and about two-thirds of those are firearm suicides. So there have to be different approaches, and it, some of it may involve policy and legislation, but I will tell you a lot of it does not. A lot of it is more uh, of a, of a of what we sometimes call a social-ecological approach, where We give the person agency. We have community. We have friends and family and society sort of pitching in um, to help on this issue. Um, So that's that's a lot of what we're doing is we're not at Hope and Heal Fund. We aren't specifically looking at uh, legislation. We're looking at uh, working with individuals and addressing um, uh, gun bonds from that front.
1: Brian Malty joining us from the Hope and Heal Fund. He is the head of the Hope and Heal Fund. You can find them hopeandhealfund.org. And Brian, it's interesting that you look at those other types of gun violence. When when we talk about mass shootings, they tend to certainly be followed. They get the headlines. Do we need more information about that? Do we need do we need more headlines about some of the other gun violence to to reach more people or, or is it about something else that could, you know, at, at least make this information more well-known?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, um, uh, I get lots of calls when there are mass shootings and I have for the 25 years have been involved in this movement and certainly always happy to talk and about that and address that. But to your point, uh, the two thirds of all gun deaths that are firearm suicides don't get the ink. And I don't mean talking about each shooting. It's talking about the problem, right? Also talking about intimate partner violence where a gun in a domestic violence situation becomes more lethal. Um, street violence, right? Where we see upticks, um, all over the country. We really have to, um, and which we're doing at Hope and Heal fund is work within the media to change the narrative because right now in the United States, the me- media narrative, is that gun violence is inevitable and not preventable. And that is completely uh, untrue. And there are solutions that are sometimes legislative and sometimes local solutions in communities across California and across the country that are working to interrupt and intervene in gun violence, right, to change the trajectory of a young man, uh, in this case maybe a black or brown young man, change the trajectory of his life and show that, Uh, Putting down the firearm and having other opportunities in life um, is is a better way to go than using a gun to try to settle your problems and working with uh, uh, military veterans and other gun owners who, in times of economic crisis or uh, mental health issues, will grab their own gun and kill themselves with it. Um, There are things that we can do that don't involve legislation that we need to focus on, and the media going forward is going to play a big part in making sure we promote those solutions.
1: In terms of examples of, of changing someone's path, which sounds very difficult, what do you look at as being an example of that taking place?
3: Yeah, I can give you an example. It's something we've actually funded here in California. Um, It's just one example of many, right, is called Advance Peace. So Advance Peace emanated in Richmond, California, just north of San Francisco. And what they decided to do was that they would take uh, uh, outreach workers, in this case, those who have been formerly incarcerated, those who have been shot, shot at, and even possibly murdered somebody, but have reformed themselves, use them as credible messengers to outreach to the same young men they see in themselves um, who are uh, maybe getting involved in gangs, um, don't see a future for themselves and pick up firearms. And what we're talking about is retaliation and sometimes retaliation over sometimes silly stuff um, and intervening and interrupting that. And what I mean by that is, you know, offering a fellowship right, to a young man to say, we can, we have a circle of elders who can help you work through this. We have job training opportunities. We have other mental health services as well. That that this program that emanated in Richmond, California, which was one of the murder capitals, not just of California, but an entire country, has transformed itself and cut gun homicides in Richmond, California by six, 50 to 60 percent sustained Over the last 10 years, and now that's been transported or uh, exported to different cities in California now across the country. It shows that it works. We have to think outside the box and think differently, but there are strategies that are working.
1: We're talking with Brian Malty, head of Hope and Heal Fund. Brian, since your work kind of began, do you have other states, other regions asking? what you're doing, how you're doing it, and, and looking to maybe do it themselves?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think the intention when I came to Hope and Heal, to start the Hope and Heal Fund four years ago, uh, was the intention that, yes, we'll start with California. Obviously, we have 40 million people. It's a big state. But while we're uh, working to uh, decrease gun death, injury and, uh, gun death, injuries, and trauma from gun violence, we're also having conversations with other states across the country who are very interested in our model and i think it's something that um, you know is is a a complement to legislative action um, that some states do but to look at gun violence in a very very different way there are a lot of people across the united states working in their own communities reaching out to young men and young women in crisis to intervene and interrupt and i think that's what's really important is um, making sure we highlight and amplify those efforts, but also make sure that people know there are different models out there other than just always looking at legislation.
1: Brian, thank you so much for sharing the ideas with us again. Hopeandhealfund.org. You can find more information. Keep safe and uh, keep doing what you're doing.
3: All right. Thanks so much. Great talking with
1: you. Great talking with you. Brian Malty, head of the Hope and heal fun because immediately when you hear about a shooting, what do you think? Well, why couldn't the police have stopped that? Why couldn't they have known? Well, how are they supposed to know? And that leads to what Brian was talking about, where in the media it seems to be, yeah, you're never going to prevent this. So it's just something that exists. What he's talking about is not easy. What he's talking about is not something that happens overnight. It, it's talking about finding ways to help people who head in directions that they probably never wanted to go or are feeling things that they never wanted to feel. How do you identify that? How do you then assist with that? Because it's not just mass shootings that they are looking to deal with. It's the gun violence that involves gun suicides. It's a a big job, but the fact that they are attempting at least a start or looking at ways to identify and, and intervene it's it's a better solution than saying well if we just made all guns illegal that's that's not the solution it never has been the solution and now you've, you've got to look at something that could be a solution you've been listening to the london live podcast catch the show live on weekdays from one to three